Welcome, Welcome to, to the, the Time, Time Bandits, Bandits Minute. Minute. Time Bandits Minute is a podcast in which Duncan Shields and Curtis Blaze analyze and scrutinize the 1981 Terry Gilliam movie, Time Bandits. One minute at a time. So this is uh, minute zero, as they say. So we're going to sort of talk about, we're going to use this ostensibly to go through the trailer for the film, the 1981 trailer for the film. And uh, Well, I think we should probably probably play the trailer for everyone how about that let's start with that yeah for sure let's play the trailer it's only the audio but uh here you go remember my voice i do trailers all kinds of trailers 23 take two one day they'll put me in a film a proper full-length job until then i'm just stuck with this sort of stuff go and see this don't miss that the most terrifying thing you ever saw is coming to babysit for you tonight. All right, cut it there. Look, just read what's on the script, will you? What? The script. Other way up. Ah. <clears throat> Ready? Yes, yes. You flock to see brief encounters for the special... Close! Huh? Close encounters. Close encounters. The film. Oh, I never saw it. Well, forget that film. We're on about our film. Time Bandits. What? Time Bandits, the one you are supposed to be promoting. Remember? <coughs> you flocked to see Close Encounters for the special effects. You went to Superman to see a man fly. You went to Star Wars for the droids. You went... Now what? What's page two, man? It's under page one. See? Oh, man. Yeah, I went to Star Wars. Time bandits can offer you much, much more. It's not the special effects or flying men or droids which makes time bandits a unique cinematic. Cinematic! You know, pertaining to the cinema. Cinematic experience, it's the makeup. Yes, folks, you've never seen anything like it. Men made up to look like monsters. Monsters made up to look like men. Look alike men made up to look different. Different men made up to look alike. No expense has been paired, spared on the pan stick. The pan stick. No expense has been spared flying in the world's greatest makeup man. Just a minute, just a minute. What about the plot? The what? The plot. What the film is about. Well, I haven't seen it, have I? Haven't seen it? You're sitting there telling millions of people to go and see a film you haven't even seen? Well, I can't see every film I do now, can I? Oh, wonderful. Terrific. Look, give me that. What are you doing? Taking over. You're out. O-U-T. Finished. Kaput. Finito. What about the trailer? I'll do it. Time Bandits is an awfully good film. We have worked ever so hard on it. It's a tremendous adventure story. We like it, and we're pretty sure you will. <laughs> What's wrong with it? It's direct, punchy, honest. Honest. <laughs> honest. Smartest. What's that got to do with it? So that's a lot different than... Uh... <laughs> That's a lot different than trailers usually are. And very meta. I remember uh, I saw this approach to trailers done for 2002's Seinfeld movie called The Comedian. A, a very interesting movie. It, it talks to all these amazing uh, comedians that were at the height of their game at the time. 
while following this one young comedian around who's trying to break into the business. And I never heard of that comedian before or after this movie, uh, but it was a, it was a good movie, but the trailer for it was, uh, it was, it was a guy, Hal Douglas, who was another really, really famous, uh, trailer guy. And he was like in a world where your mind is not your own. And, uh, like the guy in the recording booth is like, no, Hal, no in a world. We're not doing that today. No in a world. He's like, oh, uh, okay. Uh, one man. It's like, no, sorry. No, Hal, no one man. And they just keep, <laughs> keep, he keeps going through all the cliches and he's like, I quit. I'm out of here. And they're like, you're fired. He's like, you're fired. What? I'm fired? No, no, like, you're fired. <laughs> so it was like really, really good. But that was 2002, and that was the first time I ever saw a trailer making fun of Trailer Guy Voice starring one of the trailer voice guys. And uh, But this trailer here, this is 1981. This is way back. You know, I was was very into this movie, you know, but I do not remember this trailer. The trailer I remember... It was cut more traditionally. My feeling is that this might have been like the British trailer or something. Because it's also pretty long, even for the time, I think. So right. I don't know. Uh, it's like three minutes long. It's like two yeah. and a half minutes long. Yeah, which is, it was, uh, I remember watching this going, wow, that's, this is, a, this is a long trailer. So, but I don't remember, it's like you, I don't remember actually seeing this trailer. So it might've been, it might've been just a British thing where they were trading on the star power of Michael Palin and. And maybe the British right. audiences were used to longer trailers at the time. It was, it was, you know, much more separate worlds at that point in 1981 than than uh, than now. You could probably still smoke in the movie theaters over there. I remember trailers here being really short. Yeah, trailers were not a big deal when I was growing up. The trailer oh, okay. was kind of almost considered garbage. It's something you just pass the time with before the movie starts, right? Everybody's still talking. Everybody's whatever. I always loved uh, a, a good trailer. Was really a really amazing thing to me. There just weren't very many of them. I think a lot of them were, I mean, that's a bigger discussion about trailers. I mean, there's people, I like a trailer that hints at what's coming, but doesn't give it all away. Whereas some people really prefer the uh, summary of the entire film kind of trailer because then they're like, well, now I know what it is. So I'll know if I want to watch it or not. I thought everybody kind of universally hated the summary style of a trailer, but uh, I talk to people who actually prefer the summary style because if they don't know what's in the movie, they don't know whether or not they want to go see the movie. And I was like, wow, really? You're quite, but I guess, you know, movies to me are very special and a pretty big deal. And I think a lot of people take them in somewhat passively. So, you know, what do I know? I've never really understood the kind of people that like the summary. It seems to me that with very little effort, you can guess the ending of the film most of the time. And so then at that point, why even go see the movie other than to just enjoy the spectacle of the effects or whatever it is that they are uh, presenting to you? Well, that's what I'm saying, right? Like, uh, I think a lot of people get immersed in a movie and get transported by it. And some people just watch a movie. And I think the people that just watch a movie are probably in the majority. Well, you know, Duncan, it occurs to me, we haven't even introduced ourselves to anybody yet. Oh, sorry. Our, let's let's go through we're that. We're 10 minutes into this podcast. We're way off. Okay. <laughs> so my name is Curtis Blaze. I'm from Iowa, and I've loved this movie for all of my life since the day it came out. And I was never able to go see it in the theater, even though I was old enough. My other host, Duncan, wants hey to talk there. about yourself a little. Uh, my name is Duncan Shields. I hail from Vancouver, Canada. And 
I have also loved this movie for um, a very long time, most of my life. Now, I don't have a clear recollection of seeing it in the theaters, but I think I did. Because in 1981, I remember seeing it when I was roughly the same age as the main character. And I remember remarking on the fact that the main character looked a, a tremendous amount like my little brother at the time. So that's me, just a big lover of film. Uh, I'm an animator, I'm an author, um, I'm an artist, uh, a performance poet. I've done a whole bunch of stuff up here and um, really, really looking forward to getting into another Movie by Minute podcast. I did uh, 1982's Tron before this. It's called Tronologically Speaking, and I've guested on a few. And uh, I'm really looking forward to getting deep into another one, especially with this movie, because it's one of my all-time faves. The... Um... Time Bandits, what I had to do in order to watch this was the very, in fact, the very first time I watched this movie, it was on a scrambled HBO station. Oh, yeah. Sure, sure. So I could only hear it. Oh. And, oh, yeah. Right. I, I did eventually see the whole, I did eventually see it, but I could only hear it at first. Could you get like a, a really staticky, hazy, not exactly there kind of doubled pitcher kind of thing like a scrambled pitcher exactly yeah. in black and white on yeah. a 12 inch tv <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's the uh the digital equivalent of uphill both ways i guess right that was us yeah so i ended up putting a a tape recorder just up to the speaker and recording the uh the audio so that i could listen to it in bed wow and i memorized this movie that way i took this thing with me everywhere and you know those little Walkman headphones, except I had them hooked up to, to this, you know, Panasonic tape recorder, you know, yeah. that has the speaker in it. And when I didn't have the headphones, I'd listen, I'd hold the speaker up to my ears and listen to it. That reminds me of, uh, like those records of Disney movies you could get where it'd be like, at the sound of R2-D2, turn the page. Oh, I had all of those. Yeah, right? So this is kind of like that, except it was like the whole movie and it was literally the movie. Back to this trailer. Uh in particular, the movie trailers used to tell you about why you'd want to see it. Yeah. But wouldn't tell you what was in the movie. And that's a lot like what this thing did. Yeah. It, it gave you the, it gave you the feeling for the kind of humor that was going to be there. Yeah. That whole meta commentary about history and the world and. Mm -hmm. And this guy, as far as we can find, this is uh, Don LaFontaine, right? Right. We're really crossing our fingers when we tell you guys that. We're pretty sure because this is it would have been in his heyday. And this he was the guy that kind of spawned, as far as I can see, his style, his inner world. He was the guy to sort of coin that. And then it became uh, something that like everybody wanted a movie trailer announcer guy like Don LaFontaine. And he kept doing it like forever and ever. He, he passed away in uh, 2008. But yeah. He worked till he died. Yeah. Uh, more than 5,000 film trailers and hundreds of thousands of television advertisements, network promotions, and video game trailers. Uh, he, he had nicknames like Thunderthroat, The Voice of God, The King of Movie Trailers. He did... Uh, 40, 46 years, I'm breaking in here to say. Yeah, 46 years. Was his years. career. 1962 to 2008. Yeah, so this is almost for sure him too so we're 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 relatively sure it's don lafontaine but the imdb like the imdb is useless in these instances so it might be i don't know we'll have to figure out and see if we can positively id the voice i wasn't able to cro come across the definitive list of movies he's done but no. i'll say this 
there was something slightly different about his voice than the other people working at a time at the time. Yeah. And it really just sounded like him. Yeah, definitely. And, yeah. you know, 10,000 Redditors agree also that it was probably him. <laughs> or 30 Helens, too. 30 Helens. And also 30 Helens. <laughs> yeah. There was, because uh, I remember I saw this, there's this YouTube clip. There was some award show and they managed to get all of the voiceover guys together into one limousine to drive to the award show. So they're all talking. I kind of remember that. Yeah. And they're all like. They're trading off with each other. They're like, one man, his name was John Leader, you know, and it's, and it is, <laughs> yep. it's, it's Don LaFontaine, John Leader, Al Chalk, Mark Elliott, and Nick Tate are the guys in it. But Mark Elliott is the only guy that sounds quite different than the rest of them because he was the Disney trailer guy, right? So he was all about the upbeat, join Timon and Pumbaa on the Disney, you know, and Beauty right. and the Beast, you know, that whole, he had a very, more of a uh, he also has a very distinctive voice very distinctive right you hear it you're like oh it's it's that guy but he his niche was disney and uh the rest of them were all kind of doing a bunch of different uh you know similar similar shticks in there you know, just slight variations right like slight variations yeah so i like he's arguing with michael palin back and forth about what to say and what to do and they go through the the star power in this movie and the star power in this movie's ridiculous like i think there's a there's a cast in this movie that is is right up there we've got like john cleese sean connery shelly duvall katherine helmond uh ian holm michael palin of course uh, uh ralph richardson who i'm not too familiar with uh peter vaughn david warner the david warner and uh a little bit of Jim Broadbent in there, who I always saw as the sort of British Randy Quaid, but I don't know if I'm on the same page with that one. Although, you know, not in later years, something back in the day in physicality, but Jim Broadbent's fantastic. And then we've got the six main dwarves. We've got David Rappaport, Kenny Baker, Malcolm Dixon, Mike Edmonds, Jack Purvis, and Tiny Ross. And, uh, it's just fantastic that they're all in this movie together. Who was, there was, uh, it's only, it's like missing Billy Barty. And like, that's, that's it, right? Like, Back when the when the script included horse flesh, right? Were they already thinking of someone? I don't know if they were already thinking of someone, but I know that I I heard somewhere that they they went with six instead of seven to avoid any possible legal right. trouble seven with dwarves. the the seven dwarves. They were like, ah, we better go with six. So they mentioned <laughs> they mentioned horse flesh and they mentioned that he died, but uh, yeah, I don't know if they had anybody in mind. But what a happy accident that they, they already gave us stakes by having one of them be dead. Yeah, like it's not all fun and games. They're they're and they're not immortal. Having the thieves already the bandits already on an emotional journey as the movie opened. Yeah, they're kind of <laughs> like they pick Kevin up kind of accidentally as like uh like the, the, the what is that what is that game? Cata de Marcy. They, <laughs> we are like rolling around and picking up, you know, but uh, you know, bus stops and stuff like that as you go through the city. It's like they pick up Kevin, they roll over Kevin, and they pick him up, and then he just becomes part of their crew. And I like that he was Kevin was as smart or smarter than them, regardless of their experience and their sort of supernatural origins. You know, like he's he's the one who's kind of like, well, why don't we do this though instead? And they're like, oh, yeah, they they've worked for God for thousands of centuries. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it was just, it was cool as a child to see another child holding his own. Like he wasn't at the mercy of a bunch of adults, 
you know, and he also wasn't the comic relief or the person that had to be rescued or the whatever. He's tr- he's like legit the main character. You know, oh, yeah. he, he's a bit of a cipher that we all see the movie through, but he's not just uh, a chess piece, right? Like he is actually, you know, a, I don't know if he'd be a, a protagonist, but he's he's definitely like there, right? He's along for the ride and he's making decisions and affecting the action. So that was really, really good to see. Watching the movie, being of around the same age, I was like, this is awesome. This is awesome. Well, I wasn't able to. I wasn't able to go to movies when I was young. My dad took me to Star Wars. Memorably, it was my second movie I think I ever saw. Mm-hmm. But I didn't get to go see movies because we lived on a farm. You know, forty-five minutes away from a place that had a theater. Yeah, sure. You're not going to just buzz down there on the weekend, right? Like that's right. Well, they were, and and look at this movie. My my parents, my. Conservative parents in the middle of Iowa weren't going to see a Monty Python movie. They didn't no. know what Monty Python was. Sure, right. You know, if if they watched any British humor, it was Benny Hill, and that's because there were boobs. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I sort of find that British humor comes in uh, comes in those two flavors. <laughs> yeah. You know, you've got your highbrow sort of Monty Python with like allusions of you know, or like you know, different references to different famous philosophers, or you've got, hey, I pooped my pants. <laughs> right? Like and there seems to be uh, 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 about a 50-50 following of each style of humor in the British Isles. So what I'm going to do right here is uh, just because I just because I want to see it, I'm going to insert the original trailer that you and I probably saw. Okay. So I'm going to go away for that right now. Uh huh. The classic is back. So prepare yourself for a different kind of movie. A movie that takes you. On a journey through time. Ask me. Will you? Travel aboard the SS Titanic. Shake hands with Napoleon. Become a personal friend to Robin Hood. You will join us at a real Roman orgy. You'll say hello to ancient Greece. And marvel at the size of a young warrior's horn. You will spend an evening with the biggest homo sapien of all time. Did you hear something, dear? No, I don't think so. Finally, a movie that takes you inside. The Fabulous World of Darkness. Recognize this fellow? Well, you will when he tries to destroy all good in the universe. Oh, no! I'm a reasonable man. Former Beatle George Harrison brings together John Cleese, Sean Connery, Shelley Duvall, Catherine Hellman, Michael Palin, David Warner, in a journey more ridiculous than history. Thank you very much. Very, 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 very much. Time Bandits. Okay, now if we found that trailer, if we found that trailer, this is the one that we, we uh, that we. Yeah, it'd be. It was a more theatrical trailer. It was paced like a movie trailer. Yeah. Uh, the thing, the thing that really captured my uh, imagination from that trailer was Robin Hood. Sure. Okay. And uh, I remember the trailer ended with him saying, "What awful people!" <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. It was such a good film, and it's got like everything it's got like fantasy uh some science fiction like a cast of, of dwarves a little child lead like really magical feelings that Terry gilliam imagination just bursting through all of it with all his like low budget solutions to big budget problems you know like 
you know, he really, he, that guy makes a dollar go a long way when it comes to a movie. And, uh, you know, I got time travel, a spaceship, inherent philosophical ramifications and questions right. like like theological discussions in this in this movie that i saw when i was 11 or 12 like i'm like right. wow this is this is intense and i'm really looking forward to talking about some uh deeper philosophical and theological you know issues when we when we get to when we get to speak it about literally god which is something so i guess not exactly ballsy, but something that you can't have literally God in a movie in, at that point especially, I don't know, in America. Well, they had uh, Oh God with George Burns. Sure. Uh, I guess if it was a comedy and it was a, it was kind of light, you could sort of feature God in there in a positive way. But this was a vengeful, scary God, especially at the beginning of the film. But yeah, so it's got this Beatles connection and this Monty Python connection and this fantastic cast and... All of these things, it had all of these, it had all of these elements that I didn't know as a 10 year old that I was supposed to like. As a 10 year old, I had no idea who the Beatles were. They were way before my time. Yeah. Monty Python meant nothing to me. All of these, all of these elements just were inherently entertaining. And I, and I fed off that without knowing that I was supposed to like them. Oh, perfect. I love that kind of experience when you join something in progress. Like I see, sometimes I'll see um, an anime film that just absolutely blows my mind. And uh, it'll be like, it's because I've I've missed the sort of 10 years of development that have led up to this movie coming out. So I'm, I'm getting, I'm just getting it from the fire hose uh, all at once instead of like seeing it as like the next predictable chapter in a whole bunch of other movies that have led to this point. I'm just getting this like, this is amazing, <laughs> just all at once. And it must have been like that for you with Time Bandits. It was like that for me with Time Bandits. I didn't know what, what the Beatles were, but I definitely liked their music. In in terms of the, that kind of background, uh, my dad was from Glasgow, Scotland. And oh. so I was raised on Monty Python and I was raised on, especially on the Beatles. My mom and him were big hippies. They owned a coffee shop in Toronto, uh, before they moved to Vancouver. And I was born and before they moved to Nelson, where I grew up. Like it's, they were very much, you know, in the swing of things in the sixties and the seventies. And they loved the Beatles and they loved the, uh, they, they, they weren't conservative people. And so this coming to Time Bandits, I was, somewhat versed at least in in monty python and definitely i didn't really care about the beatles connection but it's cool that the movie was kind of almost single-handedly rescued by uh by george harrison there so you know shout out to george harrison but well that's something we're going to get into as yeah. we yeah. as we get into this movie so predictions all right what kind of predictions what are we talking about i'm shocked to see how many people were upset by the ending of this movie i sure was okay and you were too that that's just weird to me to me, it was perfect. It didn't wreck. It didn't wreck the movie for me, but it it really upset me, right? Because I don't. I didn't hate my parents. I wasn't like, ha ha ha. His parents died. That's great. I was like, is he an orphan now? What what's what's gonna what's gonna happen to him? Like I was really like, it wasn't funny to me to kill the parents, right? And I think to him, it was kind of a. You know, they're abstracts to him. They're characters in a, in a, in a, in a movie that he wrote. So, so who cares? Da, 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 da. Hey, they exploded, you know. And, oh, you're uh, talking about Terry Gilliam? I'm talking about Terry Gilliam. Yeah. 
So I don't know why, you know, he probably thought it was hilarious because he's irreverent in that way. But it was to me, it was a really sour note to end the film on. And it really stuck with me and it colored the rest of the film. Definitely didn't ruin it for me. Um, but it's something I kind of it if it had been perfect, it would have been great. As it was, it was perfect, except for the ending. For me, it was it was the cherry on top of the Sunday. I loved that ending so much. It is the thing that conditioned me to like down endings. Good. Excellent. Because I don't mind a down ending. I think this one just kind of came out of left field. Like, we're, we're, we're at the end of the film. He's home. He's safe. <laughs> you know, everything's cool, right? And then JK, he's a homeless 11-year-old now. Anyway, the end, I was like, what? <laughs> what? What? Like, Well, and that led to me on my Type Star 5... Uh, a, a very early digital processor that was portable uh, to create at least the first half of the sequel to this movie. Right. Okay. When I was, uh, I think I was 13 or 14 when I finally got around to that. And he starts off in a, he starts off in an orphanage. Like, a lot of, yeah. It's a lot of, a lot of orphans out there, right? You know, it's in, in, in popular media, you know, it's not a, if you start Batman, is like one of the most famous ones. If you start with an orphan, you know, you're on their side, you know, right. if you see a child become an orphan over the course of the movie, like, uh, you know, Queen's Gambit or something like that, you're like, oh, my gosh. And uh, you're like, are you I mean, I hope this person turns out OK. And uh, but to have that happen as a comedic beat at the final moment was I mean, we can talk a lot about the ending when we get to the ending. This is more about predictions, as you were saying. But uh, it, it's, it's cool that it's cool that we have such different takes on the ending. That's definitely cool. Yeah, we're definitely coming at that from different places. Yeah, the uh, the predictions are we've got a lot of we've got a lot of younger people we're going to be talking to. Who yeah, didn't see this. Who it wasn't part of their upbringing. Mm -hmm. They well, might be seeing a, it just a, now for the first yeah. time as they're twenty five or yeah. or thirty. Mm -hmm. Who've never seen the movie before. We've got a good mix this season. Yeah, very of, good mix of, of people who haven't seen it before and are seeing it for the first time. Well, when I put the and, call uh, out, like when I put the sort of bat signal up for for who wants to be on this, you know, this this movie by minutes podcast that we're doing, there's like a lot of people were like, ooh, ooh, me, me, and they like it's one of their favorite films. It's one of their most amazing films. And then there's people that. Like I mentioned, uh, my co-host, Courtney Coulson, uh, we were doing the Tron Uprising. We did a podcast about Tron Uprising. And I mentioned that my next project was going to be Time Bandits. And Courtney's, you know, quite young. And she was like, oh, I've, I've never seen it. And I was like, oh, well, you should. And then, you know, she watched it. And she was like, this is fantastic. <laughs> so it was kind of <laughs> cool to get that that kind of that kind of feedback on it from somebody who's, you know, lives in the now and I'm because sometimes you love something and you go back and you watch it and you still love it, but you're like, is this dated? I or is this garbage? I, you know, sometimes there you can tell. No like sometimes you go back for a nostalgic rewatch and you're like, oh, this has aged horribly, and this does not seem to be one of those movies. So it's it's nice to get kind of confirmation. On. Well, that's good to know because I have never I've never stepped away from this movie in my life. Yeah, me neither. I, it, it's one of those it's one of those properties like. Lord of the Rings, where at least once a year I'm revisiting it. Yeah, right? It's one of those ones. It's just there. I think in terms, like, I think a lot of people know about this movie and love this movie and talk about this movie, but they do it in such a way that they think that it's just them and their two friends that like this movie. Because 
Like there's this. That's how I. Well, that's how I felt about it until we started looking for guests. It's like, oh my god, there's there's yeah. more than me. Yeah, there's this. <laughs> there's this. Well, there's there's two things in in the turn of the century. Empire Magazine in the UK put out a questionnaire saying, "Everybody, turn in your favorite movies, and we'll try to do like a top fifty movies of the millennium. Yeah, kind of, of the last thousand years, right? You know, quote unquote. Uh, <laughs> what." what are the best movies that we've seen? So after everybody had sent in their, their, their suggestions and the dust had settled, like number one, they just made it a three-way tie for the star Wars trilogy. Naturally. And then number two was like a three-way tie for the God or the two-way tie, I guess for the God, Godfather movies. (laughs) And then number three was Shawshank Redemption. And everybody who saw that was like, what? Like I knew I liked Shawshank Redemption, but are you telling me that, enough people liked it so it's number three on the list you know so i think there's this like similar thing happening with time bandits where for some reason it really speaks to a person but you know that time bandits is way too quirky to have a wide following it must be you and a handful of your friends but there's this there's this phenomenon called the bader meinhof phenomenon where you notice something new and then you start seeing it all around right you start like oh you're like oh sporks what are sporks? And then suddenly <laughs> you see sporks in advertisements and you see sporks in your takeout meals and you see Forky in, 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 you know, Toy Story 4 or whatever. And you're like, why is there suddenly sporks everywhere? And it's, they've always been around. You're just noticing them. But I do see that ever since I started talking about wanting to do time bandits in a, in a movie by minute format, I see conversations about time bandits happening everywhere online. So do I. Lots of people talking about it. Lots of people mentioning it. I'm like, the time is right to do a movie by minute podcast on the time bandits. Cause it seems to be one of those personal favorites of a tremendous amount of people that feel like they're one of the only people that really, really like this movie. Like we were just all alone in our nerdy little bedroom, liking <laughs> this movie and none of our friends wanted to come watch it with us. Yeah. You know, it was like there was one person per town that liked it, and they didn't have any friends that liked it with them. But there's a hundred million towns. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> now we're all connected, so we can do this. So I'm really looking forward to that. I think, uh, in terms of predictions, I know I'm gonna, I'm gonna, like I did on chronologically speaking, I'm gonna read the novel as we do the minutes. Okay. Uh, I'm gonna go through the, if we can dig up a screenplay, I wanna try to compare the minutes to the screenplay and see if they're, if it's faithful or how different it is. And, uh, and I wanna go through the comic as we do the minutes. The Marvel, yeah. And I wanna find out everyone else like everyone who comes on the show i want to find out when was the first time you saw the movie and you know what are your what are your favorite parts and i was talking uh i was looking online a little bit and i found out about some just shockingly amazing deleted scenes that were either never filmed or filmed briefly without effects and then destroyed but the right. the, the the concepts for them are like you can oh. that way too expensive to film so i'm, just, I'm I they get. went to the future they all yeah. of the stuff that ends up all of the stuff that ends up at the uh, Fortress of Ultimate Darkness was was made, was planned. Yeah, right? Was sort of like that was like the ultimate callback was these were all chapters of the film that we saw, except in the climactic battle, there's stuff showing up there that you're like, well, I've never seen this before. Why and, is that there? Why, and, why and is I, there a spaceship? I kind of like that <laughs> stuff showed up that you hadn't seen before that you, you're like, what? The, it just sort of alluded to further adventures that they had had before they met Kevin or... You know, yeah. other, you know, so. Yep. And I, and I really like that. I, I, I like that they it ended up 
contributing to the world building. I think that's one of the things that was so fascinating to me about this movie is that it spoke to a whole other world of things that were happening. There's yeah. a there's a department that makes smelly trees yeah. in heaven. Pink bunker dues. And I like that the uh the central idea that there are underlings in heaven that make everything. Right. And that they specialize. And that they're kind of unkempt and they kind of get the job done, but that the universe is faulty and that the universe yeah. has plenty of holes, you know, and it just sort of it makes sense where you're like, Okay, yeah. It sort of feels like that's got the ring of truth to it. Like this is a big chaotic mess traveling in one direction in time, but there's like uh you know, it's not it's held together with, you know, wishes and scotch tape and rubber cement, you know, like it's really you know, barely held together. It's like our our, <laughs> our, our consensual faith in our common reality is the only thing that makes the common reality actually happen. <laughs> you know. And it was and it was enough of a known problem that they made a map. Yeah, they made a map to it, which is so it's like you've got a time machine, but you're beholden to the schedule of the time machine. Like a like you know, a time window is going to show up at a certain time. You got to be there, or or you'll miss it. Well, Duncan, it sounds like we could just start talking about the movie for the next three hours. We sure could. Let's call it a day. Yep. And meet back here for minute one of the Time Bandits Minute. See you then. <laughs> bye bye.